Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, or use the hashtag Wellness Wonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland. Hey guys, before we get into today's topic, I just want to thank you guys for the amazing iTunes reviews you're leaving. I read every single one of them and I love them and they're just awesome because they help bring more people to the show, which is really my big main goal. So as a thank you to you guys and really just to give a shout out to all the amazing listeners, I'm going to be reading a review of the week or month depending on how often I do this. So on to today's review of the day. This one comes from JJ Eriks and she writes, The Wellness Wonderland is my favorite place to be. I love to unwind and gain knowledge from the experts that Katie features on her show. And talk about the roster of guests. These are the best of the best in the wellness community! Exclamation point. Great work, Katie. You have a lifetime subscriber over here. Oh, I love that review so much. I know this person very well. This is my friend and mentor, Jessica. And thank you so much, Jess, for listening. She wrote this review back on November 26, 2013. So she's been with me from the very beginning, listening to all the episodes giving me her feedback, and I appreciate it so much. I could just hug her, and I will the next time I see her. So thank all of you guys for these reviews. I'll be getting through them one by one, and maybe you want to leave one if you've been listening for a while, or maybe this is your first time. So head on over to iTunes, leave a review. You can find the show notes all at my website, thewellnesswonderland.com. And on to today's show. Enjoy! Welcome back, everyone, to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I am thrilled that today we have Elle Griffin here, and I have been excited to interview her for weeks, so I'm so excited for you to get to know Elle and maybe introduce you to her and her amazing work as a coach and a scholar of the Divine Feminine. Elle is just one smart cookie, and I am so excited to dive into deep topics with her today. She's the founder and editor-in-chief of Over the Moon Magazine, which is newly launched this week. She is co-host of the smash hit radio show, The Period Party, with our other guest who has already been on the show, Nicole Jardim, and we'll link to her podcast below. And she's a mentor to women all over the world in her private coaching practice. So I'm so excited to dive in deep into femininity and hormones and and everything in between um, with you today, Elle. So thank you so much for stopping by Wonderland. Oh, absolutely. I'm super excited. I love, love, love these kind of things. And collaborating with women is just the best ever and your show is awesome so thank you so much I'm very honored to be here yay okay cool well like I said I was telling you before the call I just have so much I want to 
ask you, like, I may be overwhelming us. So let's dive in right away and give, you know, just kind of some top line things about your story and your journey, zooming the lens back a little bit and telling us what led you to this work and on this path um, of this, you know, beautiful heroine's journey that you have and how you um, made that. Yeah. So it's been quite a journey. Um, I think like many women's spiritual practice, my practice started with the body, with the healing practice. Yeah. Um, so, you know, 10 years ago, um, it was 2005, and I was reaching the end of about a five-year-long um, stalker situation where a, woman, a man had been, um, had become basically asphyxiated with me and had you know, shown up at my job and my house and my church and followed me everywhere. And, um, our family had moved a number of times to get away. And, um, he had been arrested a number of times, but nothing really stuck. And to make a really long story short, we were finally, uh, there was one night where he broke into my bedroom window with a knife and attempted to kill me. And how how old were you at this time? So I was, I must've been, um, uh, 20 or 19 years old. So you were very young. Yes. And, um, it was kind of just the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, it was, it was really good that it happened. Um, because we were finally able to put him in prison. He's in prison now, um, for a good length of time. And, um, and it allowed me to finally be able to heal because I was dealing with all this post-traumatic stress. And when your body is dealing with depression and anxiety, it just, your body becomes overwhelmed because it's so connected to how we feel emotionally. And so my body just started deteriorating. I was just getting, I was broke out in psoriasis that doctors said was, um, you know, incurable and I would have for life. And I had um, major stomach and digestive problems and um, I was like always in pain and I would go to bed every night, like feeling like I was dying, like there was something wrong with my body and my body was like breaking down. And so, you know, that, that was kind of the call to action on my journey. And it's been really amazing ever since then over the last 10 years, you know, I started really, I was like, you know, I need to heal my body. I need to heal my mind. I need to, you know, heal my soul. And over the past few years, it's really just started to get more and more, you know, whereas before it was like a, a practice of my own on the side and something I was doing for myself to become happy and healthy. Now it's become my business. And, um, it's just, I mean, I could not be more thrilled to be where I am now. Like I can't, I can't, I'm so excited. I mean, my work is so much fun. And now I work with the divine feminine and specifically, um, the divine feminine as she's represented in the Bible. So we have biblical examples and archetypes of the divine feminine, like Mary and Mary of Magdala and St. Elizabeth and all these iconic women in the Catholic church who show us what it's like to be divine. And, you know, we, 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 it's, um, it's kind of interesting. We come to this place where we feel a little bit removed from that. We're like, Oh yeah. You know, Mary, she's this, you know, virgin woman who is, you know, totally, um, we, we honor her, we hear her. And in reality, like we are the same, we could be just as easily revered and honored as she was. We're mm-hmm. divine, just like Mary was, we're all daughters of God. And, and so uh, that's what I want to help women awaken to now. And through all the avenues that I went through, through your body, through your mind, through your soul, 
Um, however you, your journey needs to take you to get there. I help women kind of facilitate that now. So super fun. Totally love. So good. So you started to touch on this, that this year you made this shift to really explore the role of divine feminine, like you said, and, um, sharing stories of these iconic archetypes, um, specifically within the Catholic church. So really, um, awakening the divine feminine in ourselves. So could you talk a little bit about um, what that means to you and, you know, and you had started to, but maybe some tips that we can apply to our daily lives to get us more in touch with our version of Mary and our ability to do exactly what you just said there and really take that into our own lives. And I think you know, it'd be great if you could touch on sexuality in there and how that fits with, because um, I think there's a lot of fear. I know for myself, you know, coming, you know, I, I grew up Catholic, going Catholic school, uniforms and everything, and um, there was a lot of fear around sexuality with um, within that. So I was wondering if you could um, discuss that a bit as well. Oh, my gosh, yes. I love that you brought that up because, um, that's what I've been writing about recently. I have like three articles about to come out about sexuality and how that's portrayed in the Bible. And, um, you know, it's so funny because even if, even if you're not a spiritual person or even if you don't read the Bible or anything, I can't even tell you how much Mary being a virgin has affected our sex lives today. Just, I mean, incredibly much because, because um, Mary has this view of she's never had sex, you know, she was this immaculate conception with Jesus. We all have taken it upon ourselves to be like, oh my gosh, then that must mean sex is sinful. And um, we kind of attach all these like shame and um, grief. And even myself, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in the regards that I've only ever slept with my husband, but like I even still carried shame because we did it before I was married. You know, we were together for eight years before we got married. And, you know, I carried some of that into my marriage, this kind of feeling of like, oh my gosh, I've treated my sexuality poorly, or it just, it kind of like lays under the surface for a lot of women, but it's there so, so often. And I see it all the time with my clients. Um, and the funny thing is, is it's all kind of based on not totally accurate truth because the word virgin, um, and in the Bible, it was used in two senses. So in the, in the old Testament, when we're told, um, when they foretell Jesus's birth in Isaiah, they use the Hebrew word Alma, which means an unmarried, an unmarried woman and usually a teenager. So they have this prophecy that there's going to be this unmarried woman who gives birth to the son of God. So then in the New Testament, which is written in Greek, we have it translated from the Hebrew into the Greek, and this virgin word becomes parthenos, which is the Greek meaning um, unwed maidens or and even unmade, unwed mothers. So, so far in both cases, we see nothing about sex. There's nothing about she hasn't had sex. Um, that didn't happen until... You know, we, we took this word virgin and we changed it from the Hebrew to the Greek to the French virgin to its Latin root Virgo, all of these with nothing to do with whether or not a woman's had sex until the second century. So about um, 150 AD, 160 AD, when the church adds the meaning um, 
as somebody who's never had sex yet. And the reason why they did this is actually, it, it was for a good reason. They were very well intended. Um, but they changed the course of her sexuality and ours in the late second century AD um, because there were so much things floating around about Jesus at the time. And, and they, they wanted to make sure that, you know, okay, we want to make, make it clear in the Bible that she was descended from, from David, King David, and, you know, all this, they wanted it all to tie together and it makes sense. But unfortunately when they did that, they tied sexual interaction with like impurity or uncleanliness and guilt and shame. And, um, that's really not the case. And in fact, if you read all of these stories about Mary, it's amazing because there's, there's basically, um, you know, in Mary's day, there would have been many, many, many women who were considered virgins, but they still had sex. Even, you know, Isis, the Egyptian goddess who gave birth to the god Horus, she um, was a virgin. She was considered a virgin mother, and she totally had sex with Osiris to have Horus. So um, this virgin, this virginity meaning not having sex um, is totally a new creation. This would not have been the case at Mary's time. It would have meant a woman who claims herself an unwed mother. So, you know, she could have very well as has have had sex and still had had Jesus. Um, in fact, she did so before marriage. So if that doesn't say anything about her sexuality, I don't know what does. Um, so, I mean, I could go on about this forever, but <laughs> no, I want you to, I think this is so interesting. So, okay. So our home girl, Mary here, I always thought that she, so what you're saying is then her and Joseph post birth of Jesus never had sex either. Is that right? Um, what do you mean? So like that she would have never, like we, it's so thought of in our society that like she never had sex ever, but now what you're saying is perhaps maybe she did. Yes, exactly. So interesting. And I think it's such a um, paradigm buster because there is, especially in that faith, you know, I know that I grew up, you know, in religion classes saying like, you know no sex until you're married for sure and it's so terrible if you did and it's like there's all this fear and then that kind of comes into fear of pregnancy and fear of like all of these things and there's just so much fear and negativity around it and I think that the work that you're doing to really help with that can you know completely impact the world so um and women so what are some things that people can do that are kind of actionable to release that shame and guilt like myself um, that people might have picked up along those lines? Well, I kind of think that it helps to just make the connection. So if we can see Mary in a more human perspective, we can see that same perspective in us. So if you want to picture Mary and you want to picture the real Mary. So at the time, she would have been known as Miriam, which is the Aramaic, the language she spoke. She would have been called Miriam. And she was a 13-year-old girl because at the time, uh, life expectancies were much shorter. And a woman was given in marriage around um, the time that her menses started. So after her first period, she would become betrothed to a man. So around 12 to 14 years of age. So here we have a young girl not yet married and a couple of things could have happened. She could have, you know, been, you know, had sex with the local shepherd boy in the community. 
She could have definitely had an immaculate conception that was just God, no other man. Or she could have um, been raped even, which is, I know it sounds horrible to say, especially on the phone and so bluntly. Um, but the fact of the matter is here is how much power does that actually give Mary? And in any case, if she did have sex before she was married and she became pregnant with the Son of God, how much power does that give us in our sexuality that we can totally own that? And in fact, if you look at all of the other women in the Bible, there's no, I mean, we see Bathsheba, who was a girl bathing on the rooftop totally naked that ended up catching David's, King David's eye and ends up birthing the lineage that eventually creates Jesus. So we have a whole lineage of women in the Bible who did not have, who totally did have sex before marriage, totally did not have this like virginal weird thing that we've put on sex now. That was totally not in existence. And in fact, even back then in her time, we have all of these, you know, even just before her time in like 46 BC, we have Caesar having sex with with Cleopatra and all of his maidens and and th these were not abnormal things this was totally normal in this time and era and especially in Galilee and Nazareth where Mary was growing up and it was very very commonplace for um, them to be pillaged by different Roman soldiers and things as they're going through the area and coming through the area that women would be taken by them and it was actually an act of incredible will on the on the woman's part, a sign of her strength that she would conceive a baby from this kind of situation, that she would take something that would be dark or maybe not as, as great of a situation and she would rise from that and be this mother that doesn't need a man. You know, at the time these women, if they were married, they would have been owned by a man. And here we have all these unwed women giving birth to people who would be, you know, our savior. And so I think just connecting to that and remembering this, if we can, you know, read the Bible with this fresh perspective or read these stories, we can get rid of this shame and guilt in ourselves because we can realize, you know, even God never intended us to be virgins. I mean, if he did, we, he would have never made them all naked, hanging out in garden of Eden, eating fruit and being sexy and all that. I mean, this is like our sexuality is something that we should own by ourselves. And that is the empowering part of connecting to Mary's story as a human woman who, you know, ha has sex and gives birth and it's still the son of God. Like that is incredibly powerful. I think it's been powerful in my own sex drive. So, you know, just to uncover that. So hopefully it helps other women as well. I love that, and it's it's hugely powerful for me. And um, and like I said, I, I relate to your your story in a lot of ways, especially your relationship to the Catholic Church and how you embrace spirituality and other so many other things, and eventually came back to this and are almost giving it kind of the facelift and debunking things that I think it really needed, or at least it needed for me to be able to get behind it again. So, or for the first time, actually. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I mean, I think that it's really sad when you look at it that way that that is kind of where we um, have headed with um, that relationship with the virgin virginity in general and religion. And I think that, you know, you could say it's sad on one side or you could say it's great because we have you and you are here to shift things and that means there's a lot of work to be done. So 
Thank you. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs> um, so I guess, you know, that brings me kind of to my next question. So you say um, in your writing that for the past 2,000 years, it has actually been beneficial and even necessary to see the role of the church and society through the eyes of men. So mm-hmm. why do you say that you think it's even necessary? Well, so the past 2,000 years, you know, has been the, the age of Pisces. So since the birth of Christ, we have um, this era of time when, um, I mean, if you think about the world in the last 2,000 years, there's been so many, and especially if you're thinking, okay, from Jesus' time onward, we're having these conquests and this Christianity basically taking over the entire world at this time. It's all over Europe. Um, spreading by way of these disciples, um, writings going out everywhere by the men who are really like spurring this forward. I mean, we have that masculine energy, that that um, drive to make things happen. The like, you guys need to hear this word. This guy rose from the dead. This is absolutely crazy. You all need to hear about this. Like, spreading the word, um, writing to each other, creating these like uproars with. Um, the politics at the time, you know, the politicians were all writing to each other being like, what the heck is going on? We can't control our people because they're in uproar over this guy. They're saying he came back to life, you know, everybody's freaking out. And this is, this is the nature of the divine masculine at work here. I mean, they, they spread this message across the entire world just by their sheer willpower and their belief and their stamina. And, you know, they're so great at all of that. They really, um, it's, it's brought us to where we are today, and it was so, so important. The only problem with that is, you know, we've kind of lost the feminine along the way. And, you know, we even do that in the Bible. When we read the Bible, we see the masculine at work. We see these brilliant characters like John and Paul who are just super passionate about Jesus and, you know, like so in love with this guy and um, say all these amazing things about him. And and then we see these just whispers of the women that we, we, and, you know, part of it is the Bible is written from a very masculine perspective, but part of it is us because we grew up in this masculine perspective. And when we read the Bible, we totally like forget about this. I mean, you read about, um, about these, you know, people bringing, we read about um, when Jesus was young and they take him to the temple and, you know, get him set him in front of elders or whatever and and we totally miss the part that's just like a couple sentences of this girl Anna the prophetess this like old lady who just takes Jesus in her arms and is like loves him and it's and it, it's really easy to do because the the um they're so short and far between like for example I think a really great example of this this masculine energy that was so needed this past 2000 years is Pontius Pilate the guy who um is often responsible for the death of Jesus because even though he really, really didn't want to, he ends up making the call to crucify him. And there's just one little sentence in there about Claudia, his wife. And it just says, you know, she comes to him and says, please don't kill this man. I had a dream about him last night and this is not going to go well. And it's such a silly little like sentence and we don't even think about it. And we're like, okay, this is so great that we have this masculine, this Pontius Pilate, like, it was totally, you know, even though it was sad, his role in the Bible was very necessary. And then we see this Claudia, this wife, and I can only imagine how that would have seemed to him, especially since I see this play out with me and my husband all the time. Like, 
just me being like, oh, I had a dream last night that I'm supposed to do this, or last night I had this dream that meant this to me, and my husband's like, oh my gosh, yeah, you and your your crazy spiritual dreams, sometimes it's just a dream, you know, God isn't always trying to tell you something, and I can only imagine Pontius Pilate feeling the same way, and like, just kind of brushing the feminine aside, because he's like, I can't go out and tell the mob people that my wife had a dream that I'm not allowed to crucify this man, that would just not go over well. So we totally needed his energy the past 2,000 years, but now, you know, we've got this shift, you know, the age of Aquarius, and it's time to start remembering that feminine, that she's totally there, she's totally been present the past 2,000 years, but we've just kind of shushed her because we needed that go, go, go attitude. Yeah, so interesting. And it's like, you know, you have to really go through these spiritual texts with a fine-tooth comb to find this stuff, and... um and yeah, it, it's it's really interesting. So I guess, um, you know, I love that you're making, a lot of people are put off to religion and put off to especially, you know, even the Catholic Church specifically for a lot of reasons. And um, so how do you, you know, work with women or speak to women who are not religious or even put off by religion and help them to embrace these stories and traditions and use them in their lives? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you're, if you, um, if you find truth in the Bible or spiritual texts, then that's totally great. These stories can help you really easily. If you're not, they can help you just as easily because even though, um, you may or may not be religious, these stories have impacted your life just by way of, morals that we've placed on our society you know we've talked about sex and how influenced we are by you know a pope's decision a long time ago to make marry a virgin and and how influenced we are by what the church does even if we don't really think we are there is some influence there um but also just in just by nature of archetypes alone if you're not if you don't fully believe in the story it's still a story i mean Isis, the goddess that we talked about from Egyptian mythology, she's just that. She was like mythology, you know? And still her story impacts us really deeply. And people turn to her all the time to, you know, read her story, learn about her, find those nuggets of wisdom that they find to be true in their own lives. Um, And even, you know, beyond, so beyond the Bible, beyond mythology, just storytelling. I mean, I was reading a book um, recently, the Raria Revelations. I'm really into fiction novels. And um, it was like a trilogy, fantasy trilogy. But the storyline, I, I mean, I was reading it and I was reading the story of this girl, Arista, in it, who's like a princess. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I might as well be reading about myself right now. She's going through exactly what I'm going through. However, she ends up doing this that's what I'm going to do. You know, we see ourselves That's the best. in characters. Yeah. So if you, you know, whether it's biblical characters, whether it's mythological characters, whether it's just the characters of a book, those stories shape our own stories. And so that's how I believe it can be, you know, helpful. Mm, that's so, yeah, that's so good. And I think great for a lot of people listening to this show, because, you know, this might be a really different topic for most of our listeners, because we don't really, you know, we don't really talk about religion and and most of our focus is on spirituality and self-development and for me you know just to kind of highlight my story like I tend to get I love self-help and I love spirituality and I get very into 
um, I'm, I'll just come out and say it. I'm very addicted to self-help and self-development and, and reading that kind of thing. So I think, you know, I could stand to use some more fiction. Like, I'm going to have to get those titles from you later. But the, it's so true that, like, when you can relate to someone, a character, even in a movie or, um, you know, in some spiritual text or, you know, in fiction, I think it really is powerful because you can not only see, um, you know, how they handle situations, but um, you can have kind of a fresh perspective of how you would do it seeing it done in one way as well so i think that's um that's super awesome and and speaking of novels you have two really cool projects that you're working on right now and and we'll get to one of them in detail in a second but i know you're also working on a novel which i am thrilled about could you could you talk about that project a little bit Yes. I mean, it's going to be a long time in the works, but um, I'm working on a young adult trilogy right now. And it's for that very reason that, um, you know, just like you, I went through the self-help thing pretty big time. But, you know, I got really sick of reading like five ways to do this and five reasons you should eat kale and five reasons you shouldn't eat kale and like five ways right. you can your spiritual practice. And if you just meditate 10 minutes a day, you'll do this. And I was like, you know what? this is not helpful to me. Like this is a bunch of how to guys that, and, but what everybody's telling you is what works for them. And yeah. everybody is entirely different. Yep. What I would rather hear about is a story of how one person changed her yes. life. Then I can be influenced by that to change mine. That's and, why memoirs are so powerful. Yeah, exactly. Like if you can, yeah, you get a story in there. You're just like, man, um, yeah, so that's why fiction is such a big part of my life and a big part of my self-development. Like, I'll only allow myself to read nonfiction in the morning before I begin work. And at nights, it's all about fiction novels for me and the stories that they tell. And so I wanted to tell a story. And so I'm writing a trilogy for young adults. And um, it's the same mission that I go about in all my work to help women understand the divine within and it's a story about a woman who recognizes the divine within herself over time. And she's gone through the same suppression that we've been through. And, you know, like, I guess the best way to describe it would be um, like fantasy, but meets the red tent kind of mm. with a modern twist. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So I can't wait to read it. Thing. Yeah, it, it's. I'm working on the first book now, and I'm, you know, I'm still working on the outline. It's such a long process, but um, I'm really excited about it. Wow, that sounds amazing, and I, again, so needed. Like, you know, I love what you said, and and you know, even addicts of self help say really not to read it in the evening because it stimulates you. And and I'm I've been really looking for some some good titles to read or I love listening to, to audiobooks as well in the evenings. It's really powerful for me and um and I want something good but something that's you know, something that's relatable to me in my life and, and not too negative and um and so I think it'll just be really empowering to have that out there in the world and I'm I'm grateful that you're creating it. And then, you know, the the other thing I wanted to say about about self-help and, and being addicted to it is when you, as we both mentioned, you know, that we've been through, you can very easily start to identify with your problem or whatever it is that you're trying to fix. And the thing is that you never really fix anything. And right. so then you just, 
you just keep changing them. Like they just, you choose one thing and then it's like, oh, I don't really feel like fixing that today. I'm going to focus on fixing this or it's going to be my body today and it's going to be my relationships tomorrow and the next day I'll focus on, you know, my body again and then we just, we just transfer, you know, addictions and and what we want to focus on. So, um, you know, I think getting out of your head is really powerful and fiction is a great way to do that. So I love that, Elle. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We are so on the same wavelength. So speaking of, I am going to be loving your next project, which is launching today when everyone's hearing this podcast, which is an amazing new magazine, Over the Moon. I love the title. Could you talk a little bit about how it came to be and your vision for this project? Yep. Um, So the subtitle is Where the Divine Feminine Comes to Party. And it was about a year ago, I just was, you know, I was thinking about how um, I was writing a lot for Mind Body Green at the time. And I was writing a lot of, you know, health stuff. And, you know, you find a lot of stuff on there that's really helpful. Yeah. But as I transferred into, you know, when I wanted to tell these stories of the feminine, I had all these stories that I'd written, like this big, I have this big catalog right now of stories about Bathsheba, about St. Elizabeth, and I was told almost like they're fiction stories about them, and and I just like was collecting them, I was just kind of writing them for fun, and um, I wrote I wrote a few articles, and I submitted them to Mind Body Green, and they were not accepted, and I thought, you know, that kind of makes sense, they're probably a little too out there spiritually, um, where should I write for next? So I was scoping out all the magazines that I could potentially write for, and there's a, a number of good ones out there. Um, but there just wasn't anything that got into like the really weird, like <laughs> the really weird stuff that we go through as women. And there was just nothing that like, it just seemed like a lot of the self-help we've been talking about. But in reality, there are things that us women, we go so much deeper than that. Like we don't go so much deeper than just what we need to eat and what we need to do. I mean, this morning I woke up and I was just like feeling like I felt like this craziness, this like wildness inside me. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, I need to like chop off my hair and like go get a tattoo. And I need to like go run to the beach and go skinny dipping. I just like had (laughs) crazy, like wildness inside me. And I was like, I just need to go on a crazy trip. And I was like, what is this? What is this that I'm talking about? And did you do any of those things? (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I, well, I, I kind of did. I was like, but I have to put my husband's spin on it and be like, okay, my husband would kill me if I just went out and got a tattoo. And I've always been like not wanting to do that my whole life. So I was like, instead I sat, came home and sat down and wrote a post about my wildness. And I was like, where is this coming from? I need to discover what is this. And I also have to take it into into account that I'm ovulating right now, which is when we feel the most like, we're like this kind of beacon to the world and we just want to do everything all at once. So I also know that I have to kind of like let that settle as I had a head into my luteal phase. But I just, um, there's as women, there's so many layers to us and we go through so many emotions on a day to day basis and we need a place to share those and to go really deep into the even deeper stuff, you know, and, and really talk about, you know, where where in the world would you talk about Mary's virginity? I mean, there's just not a lot of places right. you can. The Wellness I, Wonderland Radio? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so apart from this radio station, which is totally awesome, 
Um, I just decided to create my own magazine where women could just share their spiritual truths and not be judged for it. And, um, and I wanted it to be a really positive place where there, there would be no negative comments, um, where re- uh, writers could really share the intimacies of their stories and not be judged and, um, and be able to really share it. Cause we all go through some crazy stuff and, and, uh, it might sound a little weird or, you know, we think, oh my gosh, this is too crazy to share. But I wanted to create that place where we could share all the crazy stuff because that's what it's like to be a woman. And that's how we're going to really uncover the divine within and how we're going to go to the next level. So I have an awesome group of uh, close to 20 columnists writing for the magazine, all willing to share and bear their souls, which I'm super stoked about. And um, all in the hopes that women reading the magazine will read these stories, these personal stories, and feel inspired to share and change their own stories in that same way. So that's what I'm doing. And I'm so excited to launching. Yay! So Yay. exciting. Um, <laughs> we'll have all the info for that below so everyone can go hang out at that party over the moon. Um, next door neighbor to Wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. That, that's so awesome. And I'm, again, very glad it's created. And I'm really glad that your story is such a perfect example of that Steve Jobs quote of, you know, you can't connect the dots forward. Sometimes you can only do it looking back. And, um, you know, it's, it's really awesome to see, you know, all the things that happen in your life from the stalker to, um, you know, issues with your hormones to birth control to, you know, where you are today. And, um, it's awesome to see all of that unfold and, um, it's just really cool. So you mentioned at the beginning that um, what got you into spirituality and this mirrors my story as well is the body. And mm-hmm. so I would love to talk a bit about the the woman body that we're both in and um, in your experience and with the coaching and mentoring that you do. Could you talk a bit about um, hormones and maybe like three action items that Wonderland can take away with balancing their hormones? And I know that's a tough question because there's so many different unique issues, but just maybe three top line things in your experience. Yes, absolutely. So I think that, you know, when it comes to hormones, hormones were definitely a major driving force behind why I do what I do now, because I was on birth control pills for about seven years. Um, and eventually I got to a place in my health journey where I was just like, you know what? I know this is not healthy for my body. I know it's doing something unnatural. I don't really understand it, but I'm just going to get off of it. So I just stopped taking it. And, um, I was, I, my period just never came back. And, um, it's actually very common after the pill. It's called post-pill amenorrhea. And so are a number of hormonal imbalances that happen post-pill. You know, when we're on the pill, um, the crazy thing we don't realize is not only are we suppressing our bodily functions, we're suppressing our chemical makeup, our hormones, and we're suppressing our spiritual lives as well because our bodies are in this constant seasonal change. It's like going from spring, summer, fall, winter, every month in our bodies with our menstrual cycles. And our wombs are the center of our creativity and our intuition as women. So every month we have the opportunity to plant seeds, to give birth, and then to let that die again and we plant more seeds the next month. 
So, you know, if you think about a year ago, I decided I wanted to plant the seed of a magazine. So I started, you know, working on that. You know, I, you start, you create these seeds, you plant these seeds. I, you know, a year ago, I wanted to play the harp. So I started taking harp lessons. And a year ago, I wanted to start taking ballet lessons. So I started taking ballet lessons. You know, now it's a year later and I have a magazine. I'm, you know, fairly decent at playing the harp and at doing ballet. And that's all because I just planted the seed. Well, if you're taking hormonal methods of birth control, you're suppressing that whole monthly system, that cycle of death and rebirth, that ability to plant seeds in something new in your womb and have this, from this place of creativity to have new ideas spring forth and to really connect with your body. And if you're, so if you're disconnected with your body, like how can you connect with your soul? I mean, it's just so incredibly difficult because you're not even you don't even know what your body is doing. Your your period is like a monthly report card of your spiritual and mental and physical health. So if you don't have that report card, you have really no idea how you're doing inside. And on top of that, to make matters even worse, when our period comes around and we all start getting really emotional or angry or sad, we just throw those aside and they're like, oh, here we are being crazy because we're on our periods, which is totally not the case. That's like pure, I mean, when we're on our periods that's like pure wisdom coming out just like our blood is coming out our body is releasing those emotions that we've been holding on to all month so if you're suddenly feeling really sad or really angry at your period it's because you've been holding on to that all month and your body is now releasing it and that means you need to pay attention to whatever it is that you're angry or sad about because that's like real truth that's real wisdom that's god inside you literally telling you what's up so for me, the biggest thing was getting off birth control because when I did that, I was able to connect with my body to find out, okay, I have nothing. I'm not giving birth to anything. I'm basically barren. And that was true in my life. You know, I was barren in my life. I was not planting any new seeds. I was not doing anything else. I was working as the marketing director for a tech company for four years, completely stagnant. I wasn't doing anything to improve my situation or do anything else or um, even though I knew, you know, eventually I wanted to be an entrepreneur, like it wasn't doing anything about it. And I knew that I was a Christian and I was a young life leader and that was all great, but I didn't really understand that connection, that divinity inside. Like all of this happened because I got reconnected with my body and I was able to say, okay, here's what's wrong is I'm not producing a period because my body doesn't want to ovulate. I'm not planting any new seeds. I'm not, I'm not ripe for growth. My body is not fertile. My mind is not fertile. My life is not fertile. And so that process for me of re-fertilizing my life, which, you know, it, it everybody's going to want me to say that the, the top three things you need to do to fix your hormones are food, food, and exercise. Totally not the case at all when it comes to your hormones because your body is so... Or supplement, right? <laughs> oh, gosh. I know. I know. <laughs> So, I mean, in reality, it depends on what your hormones are doing. In my case, amenorrhea, this barren state, I was, like, totally devoid of all joy in my life. I was volunteering. I was teaching yoga. I was writing a blog. I was doing that stuff. But, like, for what? I was not connected at all to myself. I, I was so burnt out. I wasn't doing anything out of love or joy. I was just doing it because I thought it would get me somewhere. And so in the process, I, I stopped working out. I stopped eating trying to eat so healthy, like I stopped caring if I was eating kale or not eating kale. I started doing fun things like playing the harp and took up, you know, ballet and style. I quit yoga, which was I'd been doing for years. And I just started doing things for the fun of it. And when I started doing that, I started connecting more with my body and I got my period back. And 
over the over you know a couple of years of time I got really connected to my body and in the process my body became an asset to me and my spiritual growth and so for me I think that if I was going to give advice to anyone about hormones it would be number one get off the birth control pill two listen to what your body is doing it's actually pretty logical if you think about it if you're not having a period if you're having periods constantly if you have tons of acne these are all signs that something is amiss in your you know your spiritual mental emotional world that you need to focus on don't you know don't take the path of like i just need to eat healthier and work out healthier like you need to actually see what's going on with your life um and and pay attention to that and then you know write yourself your own prescription find the stories of people that healed themselves or find the stories that you rep that you see and read about in books and you're like oh my gosh this is what i need to do you know recently i just went to new york the past week and i saw the musical pippin which i was just like super into and again this <laughs> the story of how fiction stories really influence my life i saw i saw three broadway musicals i saw pippin i saw les miserables and i saw aladdin and all three like completely changed my life and i was like i know what i need to do like i witnessed myself in their stories i was like this is this is you know god's way of telling me what i need to do next in my life and i so i decided i was going to take trapeze classes and acrobatics for fun and these are the ways that we can like plant seeds in our life and and they're all fun and enjoyable and pleasurable and um so that would be that would be my advice you know get off the pill pay attention to what your body is doing and then write yourself your own prescription that brings fun and joy and love into your life and um and you'll heal your body, but at the same time, you're going to be healing your soul. And that's, you know, more important at the end of the day. Mm, absolutely. So good. So you guys have a whole period party episode on this, but I would love if you could talk a bit about why it's important to be aware of the moon cycles, the cycles of the moon, and use them in your life um, and maybe how you use them. Yeah. So the cycles of the moon are... Um, they mimic the same cycles of our body. You know, it's about a 28, 29 day cycle of the moon from new moon to full moon to back to new moon again. And most women will fall into three categories when it comes to their menstrual cycles in the moon. They'll either, the most common is that they'll ovulate with the full moon and they'll menstruate with the new moon. There's plenty of women who are opposites where they menstruate with the full moon and ovulate with the new moon. And then there's the women that are in transition. And that means you're kind of in between. And all this means is, you know, over the course of the month, the moon influences the body. I mean, I like to think a bit about it as like God uses all the stars in the sky and all the planets around us to influence our lives and like help guide us. And so the moon is one of those things. And the moon, just as it impacts the tides of the ocean and the gestation periods of mammals and all these things, it influences the cycles of our body because the gravitational pull on the earth is higher at certain times of the month. And when it is, our bodies, you know, just as the ocean would burst forth in water, our bodies burst forth with, with producing an egg and producing menstruation. So basically the liquids in our body are just as affected as the ocean when it comes to the moon and think about how incredibly powerful that is that a planet can 
affect the tides of such a large thing as the ocean. And now here we have our bodies that go through this cycle every month and they're constantly influencing us. So the first way we can see it influencing us is if your cycle follows the phase of the moon, then it's really awesome because you have this like double time thing going on where you're like, okay, I ovulate with the full moon. Everything is so like, I'm just this beacon of life and fertile energy. And I'm about to give birth to all these things. And, you know, traditionally women used to be given as brides just before the full moon so that, you know, women would become pregnant or conceive with the full moon because that's when they were typically ovulating. Now we see a lot of women with the inverse where they menstruate on the new moon. And this is actually really cool too, because this, as this cycle is called the red moon cycle. And it often happens because women are meant to give birth to something other than physical life. So they need to, maybe they're not focused on giving birth to a child per se, but they do have an important calling on this earth and they have other things they need to give birth to like a business or um, helping other people or, you know, there's so many things that we can give birth to as women. But in this case, it's usually not, it's usually means that it's apart from having a child. And in transition phases, that just means, you know, either you have, it could be a hormonal amount of skewing your cycle, which is common if you have long or irregular menstrual cycles. Um, or it could just be that your body is, is um, taking the pull from the moon at different times or, you know, and there's so many things that can influence your cycle. So it depends on, you know, the water you're drinking and everything. So, but, um, but basically I think it's a really guiding force because the moon I mean, I really do a lot of times I'll get on the phone with my clients and all week, all week long, I'll be getting all my clients saying, oh my gosh, I couldn't sleep. I only got like five hours of sleep and I have to repeat myself over and over again. Yeah, it was the full moon this week. People usually sleep a little bit less on the full moon. Um, people usually sleep tons during the new moon when it's all dark. I mean, these are like common, if you pay attention to the ways you're influenced by the moon, you'd be surprised at how much it, you know, happens in your day-to-day life. I mean, when the moon is full, I feel like super on fire. And that's when I do all my book writing because I'm just like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what I need to write. It's just pouring out of me. And when the moon's new, I'm usually like, okay, I need to like sit back and like watch some episodes of the 100 or something and like chill out. So I think that if you just pay attention to where the moon is in your cycle and how you feel on a day-to-day basis, you'll start to see how you individually interact with the moon, which is pretty fun. Yeah, for sure. Super interesting. Do you have a, a app on your phone that tells you what moon phase it is that you use or do you just, we can put one below. I'll find one for people. <laughs> I just go outside every day. <laughs> you can tell where it is. Yeah, every night I go out, I try to make a little ritual of going outside just for five minutes every night before you go to bed, um, just to, like, look at the moon and be influenced out in nature. So, I don't this, understand. so for everyone listening, since this podcast is coming out um, almost live, what, um, what moon phase are we in right now? So we just had the full moon last week, so we're in the waning moon, so we're heading towards the new moon now. All right, got that, everybody? Waning moon, cool. So typically associated with, like, your luteal phase, with nesting. This is, you know, the the waning moon is when women will typically feel like they need to 
tie up loose ends, make sure all all the bills are paid, make sure everything's taken care of, you know, maybe do some more of the administrative tasks and less of the creative tasks, you know, drop off dry cleaning or fix up your website or, you know, do the things that don't require a lot of like creativity. Um, It's like investing in your body. Interesting. I love that. Super interesting. So, um, so you wrote a really personal post, um, that, you know, I think touched a lot of people. And I know for me, it was really, really awesome to hear. So you talked about your, and you've mentioned this a couple of times that people, women can birth things other than children. They can birth businesses and they can birth all sorts of things. And you talked about not wanting to have children and wanting to birth other things. Could you talk a little bit about that decision and some things that it brings up for you and in society? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, um, a while, so about a year ago, my sister-in-law became pregnant and, you know, I'm 29 years old. I'm about to turn 30. And, um, I, it's so something that comes up on the table. I've been with my husband for close to 11 years now. And so the kids thing just comes up on the table from time to time. And when she became pregnant, it came up on the table for us again. And we were like, you know, do we want kids? And, for a long time, I just didn't really pay attention to that decision because it was just like, you know, maybe eventually, but I definitely don't now. But now it's starting to get to the point where, like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we do have to make a decision about it. And um, I just, once once it came on the table and I was like, oh, my gosh, we could potentially have children now, I kind of freaked out. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, it, the whole thing just sounded really, like, not it just didn't feel like um, something I wanted to do. And I actually went to counseling for it because I was like, you know, um, why don't I want kids? Like, what is this huge aversion I have to having children? I mean, it was even like, um, and maybe this is like too personal and I certainly don't want to offend anyone, but like I would even meet people that are moms or like hang out with moms. And I would just like have this kind of reflex of just like, Oh, like I would just like feel like, really unhappy yeah yeah I would I was exactly that was it I was I just felt totally repelled by it all and um and you know the funny thing is my body was equally repelled because the um every time I've thought like for example this one time we went over to a friend's house and they had 10 kids all of their kids were there and they were running around like madness And I was just getting this huge pain, like little pain in my ovaries. And it hurt so bad. I was like doubled over. I got in my car afterwards and I had to pull aside into a gas station and I was like in so much pain. And I knew it was because I was seeing all those kids and thinking like, this could be me. And it just like scared me. Ah, yeah. Yeah. And my, and my body, and that was right when I was supposed to ovulate and I ended up not ovulating. So my body was like so freaked out to this extent where it was like, nope you want to, you think you want to have kids? I'm totally not going to do that. Like you don't want this. And so, so I went to counseling because I was like, why do I have this huge aversion to children or having kids? Is it like my, my parents did or is it some like fear that I have, you know? And, um, as it turned out, I just, I just think I'm one of those people that just doesn't want kids. And (laughs) it sounds weird to a lot of people that really do want kids. And I think that, um, it's like a probably a hard thing to talk about to people who really do want kids, but especially if your body is not doing the things that it needs 
to do to have children, sometimes it's just a sign that you got to do a little bit of redirection. I mean, especially in the Bible where infertility is really freaking common. I mean, and think about how God used every single one of those women who couldn't conceive to do really amazing things in the world. So I think that while being a mother is a huge calling and super amazing, and the women who do that are, I mean, how incredible are they? But it just was not, it was, it doesn't feel like my calling. And, you know, if it is, I'm sure God has a way of making that happen. So, (laughs) yes, I mean, I guess that's a great, that's a great thing to kind of go to the next thing that um, there are other ways of you, people are probably thinking, well, you know, who knows, she may pop out 10 kids if she's not on the pill. So there are other ways um, to do birth control and that you obviously must practice. So um, could you talk a bit about, you know, again, just kind of some top line things showing that there is another way? Yes. Um, I use the fertility awareness method. Well, my husband and I both do. And um, it's just, it's a natural method of birth control where you know the signs of your body. And in so doing, you can predict exactly when you're going to ovulate and avoid having sex during those times or at least use protection during those times. So um, basically, there's about in like a regular 28-day cycle, there's like a fertile window of about, you know, Eight, eight potential days, because there's only one day a month a woman can get pregnant. She has, ovulates one egg one time a month, but you have to, like, build in a safety net around that for the fact that, like, a sperm can survive in a woman's uterus for five days in fertile conditions, and um, an egg can survive one to two days. So you have about an eight-day window there where you should use a condom or or withdrawal method or something like that. I, we personally use like a combination of withdrawal and then like switch to the condom later. Um, so you can do that for the eight days that you're ovulating and then you don't need any protection the remaining 20 days a month. So um, yeah. And all you have to do is know that you, there's just two different things that you use. You track your cervical fluid. So um, leading up to ovulation, your body starts to kind of lube itself up. It's, it happens because of heightened estrogen in your system. And when that, so the first day you start to see cervical fluid is the first potential fertile day. That's the start of your fertile window. And the second phase is taking your temperature. So if you take your temperature every morning, when you first wake up, it'll be like a low temperature for the first, you know, 15 days of your cycle. And then when you, after you ovulate, it shifts about two tenths um, or more higher and so you have like a high temperature the second half of the month because progesterone raises um, your temperature in your body. So um, when your temperature shifts, that's the end of your fertile phase. So you've got these two signs that show you what your the beginning of your fertile phase is and the end of your fertile phase um, so that you nice. know when you could get pregnant. And that's what we do. And there's a great book, Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler, that is pretty much the Bible of the fertility awareness method, and it tells you exactly how to use it. Awesome. We'll link to that below. And then there's an episode, or maybe a couple episodes, you guys talk about this a lot on your show, The Period Party, so people Mm -hmm. should check that out, too, if they want more information. And I do have, like, a a workshop. If you go to the product section of my website, I have my Ditch Your Birth Control book, and then also the... um, the workshop for how to use natural birth control. And those are both for sale there. Awesome. We'll have links to those below as well. Everyone should for sure check those out. So 
you've studied food extensively and you studied nutrition and you um, really believe that food and eating through all of your experience, like you said, you've, you know, been eating kale and all the healthy things. And then really now you speak of pleasure being such an important part of food and eating. Could you talk a bit about why that's important? Yes. So, Personally, I believe that our bodies are naturally designed to want the foods that we really want. And so a lot of times the first thing I'll talk about with my clients when they get on the phone is, you know, I'll say, what, okay, what is your goal? You know, a lot of them have hormonal imbalances or different things. And I'll say, okay, what have you tried? And they'll say, oh, I, you know, I eat this kind of diet and um, I'm super healthy and the first thing I'll do is throw that all out and say, okay, what did you eat when you were a child? What was that guilty pleasure? What was that? You know, my mom used to make this like cream chipped beef over biscuits. It's like, you know, mind body green would like balk at it. And you know, the health websites would just be like, Oh my gosh, you should never eat that like processed meat and you know, all this stuff. But I actually think that the, our body's reaction to food is more based on how we feel about the food than necessarily the actual nutritional quality of the food. I mean, both are definitely important, but if you think about gastronomy and, you know, I'm a big fan of Marie Giuliano and her books, like the French women don't get fat books and they don't have, you know, trouble with gluten or dairy or they don't try to limit butter and salt. In fact, those are all staples of their diet and, you know, they drink, Marie Giuliano is a perfect example of this because she's, you know, in her late 60s now. She looks amazing. She's super skinny. She has beautiful skin, like hardly wrinkled at all. And um, and she's never worn a workout outfit. She said she's never done anything that would cause her to sweat her whole life. And she's always eaten like a French woman, lots of, you know, butter and meats and, and wine. And she worked for a champagne house, so wine was like a staple at both lunch and dinner for her. And so when I was getting into this and I studied abroad in France in college and I, this is where I kind of first came into this principle was this, this principle of gastronomy and this pleasure of food and how much more health giving the pleasure, enjoying the pleasure of food is than like trying to enjoy the healthiness quality of food. And when you enjoy the pleasure of food, you naturally get all the nutrients that you need because you're actually eating what your body craves. And sure, there's things that can hinder that. If you eat a lot of sugar, your body will crave sugar because it's addictive. But if you naturally are like craving salt or you're craving like these foods from your childhood or it just sounds so great to like eat a pizza, there's a reason. And, you know, sit down, eat it with a fork and a knife slowly and actually enjoy it. And, you know, use cloth napkins and candles and have a glass of wine and really enjoy the experience of eating. And your body will respond to it in an entirely different way. I mean, when I was trying so hard to eat healthy and I had like this template of, um, you know, when I went to nutrition school, the integrative school of integrative nutrition, they give you like little handouts on like what the proportion of the meals can be. And, you know, half your plate should be vegetables and a quarter should be protein and all this stuff. So I was really following the templates and, I was just so bored. I felt like I was eating like a bird. It just sucked. And I was like, you know, this is, I'm just going to screw this. I'm going to eat what I want to eat. And I feel like it's just, it's revolutionized my health because I enjoy my food. And, um, 
And so, yeah, I think that's a really, really important part. And my kind of goal with my clients is to get them away from that attitude of trying to be healthy and instead trying to be pleasurable because when you enjoy a naturally pleasurable life and you increase that in your life, you will increase the health, all the health giving properties as well. Mm, So good. A mentor of mine told me early on that, um, you know, I was really stuck in the phase of, you know, I was asking her questions like how many chia seeds and how many hemp seeds and I you know, got to eat a certain way and do certain yep. things and labels and labels. And then, um, you know, and, and it was it was stressing me out. And she said to me, um, if it's going to stress you out to not eat something, like if you really want the cake or whatever it is, that's worse for you than eating the thing yeah. that is so bad. So um, that, that was a big shift for me and that really helped me. And, and then the other thing is, you know, when you're eating for femininity or eating for pleasure, um, you, you do crave genuinely good, f- healthy foods and, mm-hmm. um, some ta- some of the time. And I think it's all about balance and, um, and just enjoying life. Like you said, I think this, what you said there, um, and your answer to that question is really going to help a lot of people listening. So I'm really happy about that. Um. Oh, God. So now I want to ask you the question that is my favorite question to ask everyone who comes on the show. So um, it's a personal question. Can you walk us through your morning routine and any specifics in how you start your day and how that affects how the rest of your day goes? Oh, my gosh. It's so extensive. You're all going to be like, oh, I could never do that. (laughs) But, um, okay, I'll tell, I'll walk you through my morning routine because it's like super, if I don't do my morning routine, I get like super ungrounded. And, I'm the same way. So. Mine might be longer, so don't worry. <laughs> okay, so I wake up at six every morning and I, the first thing I do is I go make myself a cup of matcha. So it's like a green tea latte with like almond milk and honey. And then I sit in my big pink velvet chair and I pray the rosary and when I'm done praying the rosary, I read a Bible verse or like a devotional about a woman in the Bible. And then I write her devotional story. And eventually I'm going to weave all these devotional stories I'm writing into a, into a devotional book that I'll have on my website. But right now I'm just kind of doing it for me. I want to write these stories of these women. And that kind of just puts me in a frame because I, uh, I, I best process God through writing. And so when God speaks to me through the rosary, when I, a lot of thoughts come up to me as I pray the rosary. It's like, it's my morning meditation. So when they come up I, and I write about them, that's how I can figure out what it means in my life. So I write about them. And then I do something to get into my body. And it's usually just like a stretch or um, sometimes a class or a walk. But usually it's too cold for me in the morning to want to like go out for a walk or anything. So I'll just do some like stretching out of my hips or whatever sore in the morning and then I'll take a shower and like get ready for the day as if I was like gonna go like give a talk on stage um and shower and I eat breakfast and then I read I'm doing this thing that I call my L school of the divine feminine arts which basically is just me totally fed up with the school system and wanting to learn all the things that I want to learn rather than just like picking something, a master's degree and just doing it. I, there was just so many things that I wanted to learn that I kind of created my own school. And so I have like a regimen of modules that I'm following right now of what I want to learn. And right now I'm focusing on learning um, Hebrew and um, also learning about women's sexuality 
and Mariology, so specifically the study of Mary and her virginity. So those are the things that I study in the morning. And so that's like reading personal growth. And then I write a blog about whatever I learned that, that morning because my I do journal. I have a journaling practice, but I my blogs are kind of my journal. So that's, again, how I process what I just learned. And that usually gets me to about 12 noon. And so then I go eat lunch. And then I do whatever I want. Well, I was gonna, you might as well keep going because my next question is evening routines. <laughs> How do you wind down at the end of the day? So, yeah, so then it's important for me to do those things that I really want to do. So the afternoons, I'll do whatever the heck it is I want to do, um, like take a trap piece class or whatever, um, and um, maybe go get a haircut or that'll be on my agenda next. Um, and then at night, I um, I just, we, I don't have anything specific. I do, I hang out with my husband. We go do something fun together or whatever we feel like doing that evening. And then at nine o'clock, I get in bed and I read my fiction novels for an hour until about 10 and then I go to bed. Nice. Yeah. That sounds lovely. So um, <laughs> now we're going to wrap with some quick fire questions. Are you ready for them, Al? Yes, totally ready. Okay, favorite color? Pink. Favorite yoga pose? Happy baby. Favorite day of the week? Um, Friday. Favorite hour <laughs> of the day? Um, 6 a.m. Favorite vegetable? Ugh, I don't know. That changes a lot. Favorite fruit? Berries. What is the biggest women's health misconception you feel like you're constantly clearing up? I think I know your answer to this one. <laughs> well, I'm definitely constantly clearing up birth control. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> What's one practical self-care action that you take for yourself that's a non-negotiable for you? I have what I call my six things. And every day when I'm doing my journaling in the morning, I write down six things three things that I need to do for my business and three things that I need to do for myself. And then that's the, that's the six things I do that day. Mm. But an awesome practice. Everyone can take that away from this for sure. So <laughs> along with that, then you do so much rad stuff. How do you stay organized and fully show up for all areas of your life? Do you have any practical tips around there? Yes. I have to do that morning practice because yeah. I, I, um, my husband and I travel a lot. My husband has like a sales territory that's basically everywhere west of Montana and I just go with him. So we'll be in Colorado one week and Utah the next week. And sometimes we'll be back home in California for a week and or up in Oregon visiting my family for a week. And so it was like, I was just getting crazed for a while there and that adding that morning practice and making that a non-negotiable, like this is my morning routine every morning, regardless of where I am Monday through Friday. That's how I, that's the only way I can do it. Nice. So yeah. now shifting to food, I have a little scenario for you. You ready for it? Yes. So it's 8 PM. You've had a long day and you're starving. What do you do slash eat slash make? Um, I'm like a huge fan of baked potatoes. So I'll make a baked potato and I'll like saute um, some like mushrooms and greens and like then I'll put a bunch of pesto sauce on top and it's delicious. Yeah, that, so sounds, I, that sounds amazing. What's your go-to staple breakfast? Um, 
It alternates between breakfast burritos or muffins. Nice. What are you most excited about in your life right now? Um, traveling and potentially my haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What is your favorite movie? Um, the Zoolander. <laughs> <laughs> favorite book? Um, the Riri Revelations trilogy. Favorite song? Um, Pushing Back the Dark. And this is my last question and the staple question of this show. So as you know, the name of this podcast and the name of my blog is The Wellness Wonderland. So when I offer that term to you, Elle, to live in a wellness wonderland, what does that mean to you? What comes up? I mean, I feel like that is operating out of pleasure because if you're following pleasure, you will be living in a wonderland. And so many people are shut off from that dream, but it's a total reality. You heard it here. Pleasure is a requirement for Wonderland. So thank you so much for being here, Elle. And we'll have all the links below. And it was just really fun hanging out with you. I know. Totally. We should do this again sometime. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. I'll be back next week, but until then, let's stay inspired and keep this conversation going. So tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, and our guest with your aha moments from this conversation. And like the Wellness Wonderland on Facebook, so we can all hang out there and discuss how inspired we are and how we'll apply it in our daily lives. And never miss another episode or post from me by signing up for email updates on thewellnesswonderland.com. See you back in Wonderland.